reference page in your Bible and you can look for 1 John. There's 4 John, so don't get confused by John, 2 John or 3 John. Find 1 John, give you a page number and then find chapter 3, the big 3. And then we're going to read from little, um, little 11 all the way to 8, 18. But today we're going to be focusing on verse 14 and 15. We're in a series on John and we've just kind of slowed down to look at love and how John teaches it to us. John writes, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, um, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not abide, uh, sorry, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. God, please help us with these verses um, help them to go into our hearts and not just our ears. In your wonderful name, amen. The Christian life is extraordinary. If you're not a Christian, and most weeks we have people with us who aren't Christians, I want to convince you or, or, or promise you that the Christian life is extraordinary. And if you are a Christian, you know that the Christian life is not always extraordinary. Or being a Christian is not always extraordinary. The real Christian life is always extraordinary, but we don't live in that every day, every moment, every hour. Um, Based on the gospel that we've been given, you can expect to experience an extraordinary life in following Jesus. You really can. Uh, It's it's something that we kind of can claim in Christ. Um, And I'm not going to be saying that you're going to live the best life ever, and uh, that's that's not what we're going towards. We're just saying that walking with Jesus does things in our lives that are qualitatively different. Um, than walking without Jesus. I'll show you this by example. If you have the logic, if we think about the logic of Christian joy, what you have um, is let's imagine, I want you to, today to imagine, I'm going to use this because it's, it's dark and it's, it's contrasting, so it will work. Um, imagine that here is your life and the canvas of your life before meeting Christ and uh, your joy is, is probably based on circumstances, how things are going for you, how you're feeling about stuff, what's happening in your life. Um, when it, you, you come to some point where you realize that you're not a Christian, that you uh, are standing against God, that God's wrath is against you, that you have no chance. And it's, it, brings, it should create a well of despair. If you got saved as a, young, as, as a small child or something, you may not remember this because Jesus just was always real to you. But if you got saved later on in your life, then you realize a point comes where you, where you realize you have no hope without Christ in this world. There's a well of despair. And yet, because you're hearing about Christ, at that same point that, you, that well springs up with joy, that the despair is over because Christ has brought you into a new life, a new reality. He's taken you out of death and despair, and He's brought you into life. So the, the Christian should logically have a joy that's equal to the despair at least. Does that make sense? As much as you can understand what you were saved from, you can understand an equal, logically, amount of joy 
that you are saved. It's logical. Now, it doesn't mean that every Christian lives every moment in a state of joy. Whoever here is always joy-filled? That's disappointing. <laughs> but true. And I'm so glad that none of you are idealistic about it. I used to be most of my life kind of idealistic about it. Of, co- of course the Christian should always be happy because Christ is always king. But that's just not our lived experience. It's a true statement, but it's not our lived experience. Sometimes we go through situations and that, that bring us back to a, a, a circumstance where we're lacking in joy. It does not change our status in Christ. It does change that in this moment we're not experiencing the joy that we have in Christ. Does that make you see the logic there? Um, okay, and so today we're going to look at love and the logic of Christian love and what John's teaching us about that. Uh, So the Christian joy is not inevitable, but it is probable and it is reasonable. We can drag each other towards joy. If you're struggling with joy, we have every reason to try and pull you along towards joy by applying the gospel to your heart, to your mind, uh, to your circumstances, and try and bring you back. And the more we see Christ fully and the more we see how Christ is working upon our lives and the more we see that Christ can use all circumstances for our good, the more our joy can be replenished and Uh, we can discover it again. So it's not inevitable. It's okay. If you're not always experiencing joy, it's okay. Don't condemn each other. Uh, But it is likely that we move towards a direction of joy in Christ, right? Um, So that's the same with love. And many read this text and see that love is a sign of the Christian salvation. When you, let's read what it says. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother and sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so the summary of that would be that basically, if someone doesn't love their Christian brothers and sisters, that's a clear sign that they're not saved. And that's clearly not, John can't be saying that. Um, because then what would, our, what would, our, uh, what would our, our salvation be based off of? Uh, works, right? And, and whose love would be loving enough? In this room, do you agree that you love your Christian brothers and sisters differently? Do you agree that there's people in this room who, who have a, a, a greater amount of God's love for the people than others? Would you agree? Would you agree that some of you in this room don't love your Christian brothers and sisters as much as others? Now, don't try to figure out who we're talking about here. I already see elbows and pinches and I don't know which way it's going. But would you agree that there's not kind of one even description of the love of God worked out in our hearts. Okay, so then whose, whose amount is enough? Wh- whose level is, passes the test of love? No one's. We can't do that. We can't walk around going, are you loving enough to prove you're a Christian? So John can't be saying this, right? That's, that, uh, that's not what John is saying. And what I want to show you this morning is just like joy, the Christian's love is not inevitable, but it is likely and it is reasonable. We have every reason to love our Christian brothers and sisters. We have every reason to expect that God will move us from a place of indifference or hate to a place of loving others more than ourselves. We have every reason to think that. Why? Because we're following Christ to lay down His life for other people. So we have every reason to believe that His Spirit in us will help us to lovingly lay down our lives for the other people He loves, which are called our brothers and sisters. But it's not inevitable. It doesn't just happen. 
Someone just uh, doesn't say, now no conversation goes like this, but no one comes and asks you of something, hey, can you help me with this? And you say, you intend to say, no, I can't, because in my heart I don't want to. That's what you intend. But something comes over, you grab your mouth and you say, yes. <laughs> what is going on? The love of God is not inevitable, but it is likely and it is reasonable. And if you're walking with Jesus, Something in you will change. Now, let me be careful there. Not if you're walking with Jesus, as in if you're a Christian. If you're fellowshipping, walking, keeping up with Jesus, you'll be changing. So, rather than love being the test of faith, I want to show you that it's a test. It is a test, but it's a test of fellowship. It's a test of, are you experiencing fellowship with Jesus? That's very different. Think about it in a marriage. And, and just thanks to Brian for keeping up with me as we go along through this. He's, I mean, I appreciate it. Good luck. Think about this in marriage. When I don't uh, love my wife, now we know when we're talking about love, we're talking about God's divine love. And now when I'm talking about loving my wife, it's just talking about that eros love, that romantic love. When I'm not loving my wife the way I ought, it doesn't make me insecure that I'm not married. I don't go, oh, my status has changed. We're probably not married because the last two days I've been pretty grumpy with you. So I think that's a sign that you and I never truly were married. That's ridiculous. It's a sign that we're not walking in loving fellowship. We need to change the way we're behaving so that we can treat each other in loving ways. And so the same thing with Jesus. When the signs of my life, there's no love for my Christian brothers and sisters, it's not a sign that I'm not in Christ. It's not a sign that He's not covenanted to me. It's not a sign that my faith hasn't been placed in Him. It is a sign that I'm not walking with the Holy Spirit in the love of Christ, keeping up with my Lord and Savior, who's having an effect on my heart and my mind. It is a sign that I'm giving my affections and my time and my focus to other things. But it's not a sign that Jesus has kind of taken the ring off His finger towards me and gone, we were never really married. Sorry, I'm using, uh, those of you who aren't Christians, that's a really weird jump. But in the Bible, it talks about us being the bride of Christ. It, it wants us to understand that there is a covenant that He has made to us. So I want to suggest this morning that John's telling us that a Christian can live in two different experiences. That a Christian, if you are a Christian, you can live in two different experiences while at the same time remaining a Christian. Okay? <laughs> Firstly, what does it mean when John says uh, we know that we have passed from out of death into life? What does it mean to pass out of death into life? Well, I want you to see this picture. Oh, we've just prayed for you. Oh, too late. You missed it. But what's great is that God's the already previous God. He's outside of time. So our prayer is just happening right now for you. Um, Make sure you give them a big cuddle and squeeze if that's permissible uh, before they leave today. Okay, let's get back to it. So there's this experience of death, life without God. You're, this is your canvas. Experience of death, you have no spiritual life, and we've passed into the realm of life through faith in Jesus. You have a new experience in Christ, right? This, and the, but I want to show you how it's all over Scripture. Look at what Jesus said. He said, 
You can't have eternal life unless you are born again. Jesus talks to the crowd and says, you're here and you can't get to there unless you're born again. By being born again, you come into eternal life. And some people misunderstood that Uh, in the Bible. Some people misunderstood that. I misunderstood that. I remember being five years old going, am I ready for this on my bed? Going, I don't know if this is really going to happen or not. I think it is, but we'll see. And then praying and thinking I was going to turn back into a baby because I was putting my faith in Jesus and I was going to be born again. Um, I'm, I'm going to need that. Oh, you can't see. Never mind. We were, just imagine that. Um, so then there's passing from death into life. And Jesus calls that born again. You, you're, change, you're changing your experiences. Paul says, God made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, we have been saved. And God raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So Paul says, God has taken us from this position of death and moved us to this position of life and He's raised us and already seated us with Christ. You already have a status with Christ. You're already, you're already in heaven with Christ. Not you, you can't see it fully yet, but your status, the, the judge, boom, the, gavel, the judge's gavel on you has been determined. You've been clear. You are in Christ. You have this new life. Peter wrote, you have been born again. But not to a life that has, will quickly end. And Peter's the captain of underestimating. It won't quickly end. What is he talking about? Eternal life that will never end. He carries on. Your life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. You've passed from this. You've come into this. Your life will now last forever in Christ. Did everyone's life change right away no did peter change right away did the guy who wrote this change right away in every no they remained on a journey of following jesus walking by the spirit being changed into the likeness of christ with a hope that was in heaven but their status in christ was unshakable and unwavering james wrote he chose to give us birth through the word of truth And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. He came, He took us from here, and He chose to give us birth by His word of truth. Through Christ Jesus, God's word to us, we come into this new life, this new birth. And So John says, we've passed from death into life. Do you you see what's happening here? So there's these two experiences. When I talk about the Christian life is exceptional, I'm talking about this one, the one that we have in Christ through the miracle of salvation, through the miracle of faith in Jesus. So there's a contrast from death to life. When as Christians, if you're a Christian, or even if you're a non-Christian, you think that becoming a Christian shuts the door, and now you're going to live the perfect life ever. Your joys, and, and often when, um, if people get saved later in life, when they become Christians, they, they're like champagne just bubbling over. It's like a cork has been popped, and there's just this, life is so amazing. And you'll hear things like, colors are different, smells are different. It's like the whole world just got more beautiful. What's happened? And, and, and it's really great. But those who, who've been Christians for longer know that that's kind of that honeymoon of walking. Doesn't, it doesn't last like that every single day. It's not always like that. Sometimes it's hard. And Jesus promises that life is going to be hard for Christians in this world. He guarantees it. But sometimes in His kindness, we kind of have this entry into the Christian life with bubbles and champagne. 
But there is no cutoff. But there's a contrast. So the Christian message is about a new eternal spiritual life that we have. So secondly, what does John mean by we know? He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. What does John mean when he says we know? Now in the Bible, the word know can mean different, many different things. And you can go do a biblical word study. Please, when you study the Bible, don't read your dictionary. Your dictionary is an English book about English words. It's got nothing to do with the Bible. If you, go read, if you want to know what biblical words mean, go find out what the word means in the original language, Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, and then go do a word study on that word. There's some easy tools you can do, and find out what that word meant in that language in that time, right? And in the Bible, the word that we have, no, means various things in the Hellenistic language. What John likely means here by it, and we use it sometimes, not very often in this way, is experience. The knowledge that you, you gain in an experience of something. You know it because you've tried it. You've tasted and you've seen it. Now you know. Was that a good dinner? Yes, I know it was a good dinner. What do you mean? You mean you ate it and you experienced it and now you know it. John means that. You've experienced something so you, you, know, you have knowledge of it. We, so we can say it like this. Uh, we experience that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. So it's not a test of evidence of salvation. Are you saved? It's a test of your experience fellowshipping with God. Are you, are you fellowshipping with God? Are you experiencing the goodness? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you experiencing Him? Are you seeing it through the love that comes? So it, it will show. It, you will see something. John is saying that your love for other Christians is evidence... Uh, of your fellowship with the Lord. Let's read what Paul writes in Ephesians. What I want to show you is that John can't possibly be saying it's evidence of your salvation. He's saying it's evidence of your experience of walking with Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. You, you know I love this verse, so, these verses so much. I, I could find a way to put them in every single sermon. For it is by grace... I'm going to read from the Amplified Version, which is just a fun version, and it amplifies the meaning of many of the words. So good luck as we go through it. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law. Remember that loving was the first law, and Jesus said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So keeping love as a way of proving salvation would be keeping a law to prove salvation, right? Paul already says, you're saved not as a result of any of your works or your attempts to keep the law. So that no one will be able to boast and take credit in any way for his salvation. For we are God's workmanship, his own masterwork and work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used, for good works which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which He set, so that we would walk in them. Now we're talking about experience, the language of discipleship. Experience is a life to live, a walk to walk, things to do as Christians. Uh, living the good life which He prepared 
and made ready for us. So there's a life that God, God has saved us and there's a life that is planned for us. And as we walk in that life, we experience the Christian life. We grow uh, in Christian fruit. Right? So loving others isn't part of salvation, but part of the new life which God has for us to live in. But that also means that you can choose not to live in the new life that God has for you. We should walk in it. Every single day you should walk in it. The best choice you can make as a Christian is to walk in the life that God has for you. But it's not inevitable. You still have to get, go there. Now, before you, you, uh, you, you d- disagree with me, and I don't think anyone's trying to disagree or wants to disagree or, or, or is disagreeing, but if you were, let's just imagine that you were. Just think about it. Has there been a day in the last year, last month, last week, maybe today, where you chose an attitude, chose a thought, or made a decision that you knew was against God's best for your life? What am I saying? The Christian life is not inevitable. You still have the ability to choose the old way of life, to choose the old attitudes, to choose the old behaviors, to choose the old affections. But God has prepared a new life for you to live. And He's given you His Spirit to walk in that way. And He's going to make us more like Jesus over here. And this is where loving one another dwells. It's in this realm. How are we going? So John is describing how we experience the new life in Jesus by loving our brothers and sisters. Another way of saying saying it is by answering the question, what will heaven be like? How would you answer the question, what will heaven be like? Whenever people answer that question with the revelation picture of like golden streets and pearly gates, and I must admit, that that doesn't really strike me as something uh, too wonderful. I don't know. I don't know if like golden streets are like that amazing. Maybe they are, but like after you've seen, I mean, what, what? So there's a street outside with gold. Great, but so what? And me, it, there's no, there's like no economy there. So what's the value of the gold? <laughs> we chip it out and go buy something. Like it's, I mean, it, it's it's obviously describing indescribable beauty. It describes the, an ocean that's flat. That sounds like the worst ocean in my mind. Who 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 over here does any water sports that loves a flat ocean? No, a few of you. I, I don't know. You need to find a better water sport. But, but what is heaven going to be like? In those moments where Christians love one another with the love of God, when they care for each other, when they look after each other, that's a moment where heaven is coming into earth. That's a moment where the kingdom of God is expressing itself with the divine power that was released at the cross of Jesus Christ, where the life of God is being released through His Holy Spirit through our lives, and His love is being expressed in time and space in this world. And it's like a scratch and sniff taste of what heaven's going to be like. When you have given someone a gift, and the only motive is to bless their socks off, you feel like God has just put love in your heart for them, and, and you, just, you, you, you just couldn't express your love for them enough, and you just give them some sort of a gift, and you don't, even, you don't even want them to say thank you, because you just feel overwhelmed by being able to bless them. You, you feel joy. You, you feel love abounding in you. That's a scratch and sniff 
of what it's going to be like to spend our lives in heaven loving one another. We experience, and then Paul says, uh, sorry, John says, we, have, we experience that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. This is a positive statement. This, this is Paul John saying, this is happening. This is the experience we have. And then he goes on. Everyone who hates his brother and sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now what do we do with this verse? How do we understand it? John's talking about this. He picks this one, I think, because he's t- just spoken about Cain and Abel, and Cain murdered Abel. And John's showing how if you love one another, you couldn't possibly do this, right? Cain couldn't possibly love Abel and murder him. He was jealous of him. He didn't love him. He, he, he was unrighteous, and Abel was righteous, and so he murdered him. And John is saying it's not possible for, the, for, for Christians who are experiencing a fellowship with God to hate one another. This is so helpful. It really is so helpful because it can help you distinguish. If someone goes like, no, God and I are good, but you know, I love God but hate the church. It's not possible. You can hate things about the church, but you can't hate your brothers and sisters and love your father. You can't be experiencing the love of your father without him trying to squeeze into you the love for his children. Even if it's just a drip feed. There's still something happening. So, um, when we don't live in this life of love, we don't experience this new life that we already have in Jesus. And we experience the old life that's outside of that. And this is a new teaching. This is uh, Jesus' teaching. In fact, John heard it from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't think there's anything particular about... uh, Murder, it's just helpful because John has used that with Cain and Abel, but he could use any other uh, sin that breaks God's holy standard or God's law. um, And Jesus teaches us at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, uh, anger towards others is the same as murder. He goes all the way to the heart attitude where he takes the law and shows how we break the law with our hearts. We don't ever have to do it with our hands. We stand against God just with our thoughts and our feelings. So... Uh, anger towards others is the same as murder. Lusting after someone is the same as committing adultery. Not keeping your covenant to your spouse. Not doing what you said, being unreliable, breaking promises, giving people what they have coming to them. So, you know, that, that's what they deserve. Um, keeping your enemies your enemies. All of these things reveal the absence of love. They're all totally doable in the old life. None of them need to be explained. If I were to say, please anyone stand who hasn't done one of these things this week. I don't think there'd be many or any of you standing. And then if you did stand, a whole bunch of us would be be, uh, thinking things towards you that would mean we can't stand. (laughs) Because we just wouldn't believe you. So it's it's completely possible to live in, in the old life. But it's completely likely and reasonable to expect to leave that old life and to live in the new life. But what you need is a certain ingredient, and that ingredient is the love of God. Because all of those things are only possible because of the absence of love. If you have love, sorry, can you just give me a tissue before this gets gross? If you have love, the love of God uh, growing in you, you're moving away from those things. So, thank you, love. Um, For the visitors, this is my wife, Nasia. Nasia. These are 
wonderful people. So you need the love of God uh, growing in your life to move from that. And that's how you, 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 so you have an experience. So you're able to forgive your enemies. It's sometimes doesn't, illogical. Why did you forgive them? Why didn't you give them what they deserve? Because something is controlling your heart and your, that, that's unworldly. It's from God above. It's a love that, how, how do you forgive someone that hurts you? It's not possible, except if you are born a new creation with the Spirit of God, putting the love of God into you, then you have a love in you that died on the cross for sinners. You will have a love that makes it, empowers you to be able to forgive someone even while they don't deserve it. Right? So they all reveal the absence of love. And so in these moments, we're not experiencing the eternal life that God has for us. But our status is already in Christ. So as Christians, we have an invitation to live the new life. That's already ours in Jesus. The new life of love and joy and peace and hope that's not inevitable, but possible and likely. So when we see people, and every single one of you knows someone who's placed their faith in Jesus, who is not living over here, who doesn't even want to live over here, what does that say about them? Well, I don't think we should be too quick to answer except to say this. Pray with a broken heart because what is clear is they're not experiencing fellowship with God. If someone is living over here in the new life of God and the love of God is growing in them, if it's the love of God that's growing in them, they don't quickly look at brothers and sisters still stuck there and cast judgment. Why? Because they themselves know this life is impossible outside of the Holy Spirit and fellowshipping with God. They long to have others come and join. They long to see people restored. Jared, that was impressive, little guy. We'll blame your dad, all right? Protect your dignity. Let me draw this to a close. To not, what John's showing us is that to not love our brothers and sisters is to live outside of God's life for us, to not have eternal life abiding in us. When we are here, you can, the way you can, you can when we're living here, you can say you, you are abiding in eternal life or eternal life is abiding in you. When you're not living here, you can't say that. That's why John can say, when you're not loving the brothers and sisters, you don't have eternal life abiding in you. It doesn't mean your status in Christ has left you or that you have left Him. If your faith is in Christ, you're in Christ. But the eternal life that you have in God is not abiding in you while you're living here. Let me draw this to a close. Uh, two, I'm going to read from 2 Peter 1, verse 5 to 11. Peter says this, Please listen carefully to his language. I'm going to read it slowly. Listen carefully to his language. I've marked some spots I want you to see. Obviously, those aren't Peter's highlights. They're mine. But in light of this contrast of life, I want you to see how Peter says it so well. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Okay? Let's pause there. What, what, what is the basis of Christian salvation? Faith in Jesus Christ. We're saved by faith alone, in, right? Through God's grace and mercy. So, but Peter doesn't think you should just stay there. 
He doesn't think, you know, you could, he thinks you should move on. Why not? Why not? You still have a life that God's prepared for you. Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, what does he say? Love! To Peter, love is like the last fruit that we get to see if we keep walking in the life that Christ has for us. We eventually see this little bud, like if you're growing, my wife's growing vegetables. It's so amazing to see my little wife growing food. I don't know why, but it's amazing. And she loves these plants like she gave birth to them. And you will see, you'll see delights in her eyes. Oh, Mark, come look quickly. What's happening? Is it a double, triple rainbow? No. It's a little bud. A little snappy bud. But we have six children. There's going to be like four snappies in there. This is so amazing. There's just a bud. And the way Peter's saying it is like, your faith in Christ has moved you. You are now seated in Christ. You have died with Christ. Therefore, you've been raised in Christ. And if you walk with Him and you walk by the Spirit and you stick to His Word and if you let God's authority reign in your life, you're going to stick to these things. You're going to work on these things and you're going to grow in these things, godliness and perseverance. And you're going to move along in the Christian life. And there's going to be this bud that comes. All the fruit comes through the same bud. Love, peace, patience, kindness. The, what is... Uh, Paul say, the fruits of the Spirit is love. Uh, uh, what, what does love look like? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It comes through the same bud. As you walk with Him and grow with Him, eventually you're going to, boop. And all the angels in heaven, I don't know that this is true, but it might be, might call, call to one another and go, oh, come look quick. Come, look at Tilly. What? Has he finally graduated? No! Doctors never graduate. <laughs> What's going on? And an angel says, I saw him love Stephanie in a way that could only come from our father. What? <laughs> a choir of angels watching love unfold. Or you can choose not. And live in the old life. You have all the power you need to do that. Sorry, we're supposed to be reading what Peter said. <laughs> For if you possess these qualities, listen to what if, if you possess these qualities, means you might not. It means you could be a Christian and not possess love. But if you possess these qualities, in increasing measures, they can grow like plants. You can get more of them. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. What is the result of them? They will show you you're safe. No! They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. Peter's speaking to Christians. 
If you don't have love, if you don't have goodness, if you don't have perseverance, you are being nearsighted and you are being blinded. In other words, you're just living the old life. Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. That's talking about a growing confidence. Not in proving I'm saved, but the fruit that, that is, comes from being saved. I confirm my election. They're kind of standing here and it's like, oh, it is amazing to be God's child. Versus standing here and going, I don't know, am I a God's child? I mean, I don't, nothing's really changed. I don't know. And you're thinking inwardly all about yourself and not about Christ. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three reasons why we, Paul, Peter gives that we should care about growing in this direction. That we should care about living this new life. That we should care about loving our brothers and sisters. Number one, it gives you confidence in your walk with Jesus. John says you have an experience of the life of God. It changes you, your, your heart, your mind, your, your feeling. Does this happen in relationships? Yes. When Nas and I are walking in, in a loving relationship together, when we're walking well together, there's a confidence in our marriage. We know each other. We get each other. We understand each other. But, but when we're not walking well together, we lose our confidence. We walk around fearful, hurt, broken. And so Peter says, you, you confirm your calling. You have this confidence in you, your, this experience of walking with God. But secondly, you never stumble. You're able to leap over obstacles that before caught you up. That before made you fall back into the old life. You're able to see them and just, woo. <laughs> Here comes some temptation. Here comes lust. Woo. Right over it. Here comes anger. Pony. Anyway, you can have your own way of leaping over obstacles. The point is that when you're having this experience of walking with God, growing with God, and His love growing in your life, you're able to leap over things you couldn't before that made you stumble. You can stumble and fall. It doesn't mean you're not in Christ. And lastly... There's a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior. Imagine being that marathon runner who runs into the, the finally, after a long run, runs into the Olympic, and there's thousands and thousands of people. And it's this kind of picture in heaven that, that all the saints, Moses, Paul, Peter, John, all these guys are kind of sitting in the gallery of heaven and the angels, I don't know, I don't know if they sit, they're all over the place. And then you come running in after living your life for Christ. And it's like they're standing and go, yeah, Julian, woo, yes. Why? Why are they doing this? There's this rich reward. Paul describes in Corinthians another way of entering heaven. For the life lived over here. <laughs> he goes, they, they still get in. Because they're, they're still in Christ, but they get in as if they came in through a fire, which means what? They have nothing. It's like the Olympic Games ended, everyone went home, and then you came through to the stadium, 
and they just left the tape for you to run through. <laughs> now, it's not that emotive, right? There's not like, I'm not saying that you have less dignity when you, I'm just saying that there's this idea that we run for the prize that we have waiting for us. But, but you can also not run and neglect the prize. We're going to take communion. Jesus never murdered anyone because Jesus never hated anyone. He could be crucified on a cross and cry out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He could look at a disciple that had, had denied knowing him and restore him back. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Who was the first person who ever got to preach the gospel besides Jesus? Who, who was it? Peter was the first person God allowed to preach the gospel besides Jesus. Days before that, Peter denied knowing Jesus. Jesus had the love of God so much in him that he could bring Peter, redeem Peter, drag Peter through to the new life and give him the dignity of preaching the gospel. Jesus entered our death to make a way for us to enter his life. He came and he died crucified in our sin, so that through faith in Him, we might live the life that God has created for us.